We've entitled this morning's message, The Lamb is Led to the Slaughter. I want to remind us that in our text, this is around Passover time. That was the time in which the trials that the Lord has just gone through were conducted. The Lord had observed the Passover with his own disciples and had introduced them to what we know as the Lord's Supper today. And the purpose of that Passover was to remind the Israelites, and I believe this is important to our text this morning, to remind the Israelites of a couple of things. Number one, of the preservation that God had for them as a nation and that all the plagues that had come on Egypt, they did not have to suffer. And more importantly, they were to remember the redemption. They were to remember that as a people, they were redeemed. They were redeemed from the bondage that was in Egypt. They were redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were, keep your finger here and turn with me to Exodus chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. They were to carry on this observation, and they were involved with the slaying of a lamb. And back in the book of Leviticus, and then this is back in the book of Leviticus and going back to the book of Exodus where we're going, we have some insight into one of the sacrifices that were to be given, and it's called the sin sacrifice. And as they had that lamb, we read in Exodus chapter 29 something significant, I believe, to understand what is going on with the Lord Jesus Christ here in our text. Because as you come to 14 of Exodus 29, we see that they've been delivered now and they're to carry on some sacrifices. And in verse 14 it says, but the flesh of the bull and its hide and its refuge, or its dung, shall be burned with fire And here is the key here, outside the camp. Why? It is a sin offering. As a sin offering, there was a portion. They were to burn and to consume most of the animal, but a portion of it, that which was rejected, that which was actually literally in Scripture a stench, was to be taken outside of the camp, and it was to be burned as a sin offering. And as we come to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, I do not want us to lose sight of the fact that when the Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified, and we'll talk about that this morning, this is not some unfortunate situation. Don't lose sight of the fact that he came, according to John chapter 1, as the Lamb of God. John identified him that way. When he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. According to the book of Acts, the second chapter and verse 23, this was part of, as you have heard over and over, do not take it for granted, the predetermined plan of God. This was not some mistake. It was the predetermined plan of God that was being carried on. And I use this title because, turn with me to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, which I know you're very familiar with, at least most of you. But let's go there, Isaiah chapter 53. 
good reminders to us as we begin this morning. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, or he did not open his mouth. We've seen that already in our text in John. Then he goes on and says um, in verse, let me go down to verse 10 for a minute, but the Lord was pleased. I didn't finish verse 7 because it says, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And that's kind of where I got my title this morning. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, verse 7, and like a, sh a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Then in verse 10, it says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. It was the Lord that was pleased, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offering and he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So very clearly, as we move to this portion of our text in John, and I'm going to go back to Isaiah 53 in just a moment for one other thing, but if we come to this portion in John, we see that this was not just an unfortunate situation. Yet, while it is the predetermined plan of God, let me immediately address something else that comes to the human mind. Well, then, is man responsible? Yes. Man is still fully responsible for his own actions. Pilate, who will turn the Lord Jesus Christ over to be crucified, is responsible for his actions. The Jewish leaders, who knew he was innocent, but insisted on calling out for crucifixion are responsible for their actions. The soldiers who stood by, and you saw this morning, that they mocked. They are responsible for their actions. We are responsible for our actions. We cannot blame it on somebody else, nor can we just say, well, it's part of the plan of God. We make decisions and we sin constantly and we are responsible for our actions, even though God had a predetermined plan to take care of our sin, as we will see this morning. What a picture of God, because if you go back to Isaiah 53 for just a moment and look at verse 4 now, I'm just looking at certain portions, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we esteemed him smitten or stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was afflicted by God. What a picture of the person of God. In what way? First of all, his hatred for sin and the necessity of the penalty being paid. And I want you to see that right up front this morning as we move to the crucifixion. Sin is not something that God takes lightly, nor is it something that can just be overlooked. If you think as a sinner that maybe just someday your good works will outweigh that sin, or it will be overlooked by God because God is an all-loving God, you don't understand a very important aspect of the character of God. God is totally righteous and just. And the wages of sin is death, and death is demanded. And that side of God is clearly seen. Why the crucifixion? Why did God 
have to die? Why did he have to send his son and die? Because of the righteous demands on the guilt of sin and the character of God. And yet, we see in the same text that we have read in Isaiah, and I want you to see that, that we see the love of God. Why? He bore our griefs. He was smitten of God on our behalf. And it's the total picture of the righteousness of God coupled with the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why? Because without the love of God, we are without hope. Without the love of God, we are condemned. We will die physically. And we would be separated from God for all eternity, as we will see this morning, in hell, apart from the grace of God. It is a total picture here of the grace of God and the righteous demands of God. He couldn't just overlook it. There was no other way. And so as we see Christ come to this crucifixion this morning, realize that he's innocent. He's the Lamb of God. He is a Lamb that is led to the slaughter. And now he is led away in our text to crucifixion. So we pick it up there in John chapter 19. And we see the trials are ended. We're still at the Passover. And as the Passover Lamb of God, and I'll say more about that, he comes to his crucifixion. Verses 16 and 17. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, or Aramaic, is the, the, that's what they were speaking at the time, Golgotha. And that's what we find in verses 16 and 17. I want you to notice that there is very little, in fact, there's no emphasis on the physical suffering. Now, last week, I purposely pointed out to you the agony of the scourging so you would understand some of the physical aspect of it. But I don't want us to get lost in that, and neither does John. John just simply says they let him out to be crucified and where he went. Why is that? Go with me one more time to John chapter 20. Let's turn there. Come on, you know it well, but let's turn. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. <clears throat> and I want you to keep these verses in mind as we continue through our text this morning. Therefore, many other signs. We saw this when we opened up the book of John, and I told you at that time, and we've been very consistent with it, you will hear me repeat these verses over and over throughout our study of the book. And here's why. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but, and here's the explanation for what we have in chapter 19. These have been written, why? Purpose. So that you may believe that Jesus, this Jesus, is the Christ. He is the anointed one of God. He is the Son of God. We've seen that in our study. That means he made himself equal with God. And that believing, that is faith, 
Notice faith, not works, not churchianity, not religion, but believing you may have life. Where does it come? In his name. That's where it comes. John has written these things. He didn't want to spend the depth of going into the crucifixion and what it was because what he wanted to accomplish was helping you to see that he's just going to his crucifixion and what he did point out would be enough to help you to come and see that this one is the Christ, the son of the living God. And so we find in verses 16 and 17 that he just passes over it and said he went out to be crucified in verse 16. And he says in verse 17, bearing his own cross. He carried it. Now, I'm not going to get into the depth of the crucifixion in the physical aspect today. It's gruesome enough that we saw what we did with the scourging, and it is gruesome. But there is the concept of the one that did go out, and I want you to understand that, that would go out for crucifixion, he would carry his own cross to his own death. And it was very common. There were two things. Some carried the full cross. And in other cases, as you look back in history and study it, some carried the cross beam. And I'm not sure exactly which one was here for the Lord with the reading that I did. And you can find arguments on both sides. But he carried his own cross. He had to carry that burden. He started off after all of that physical that he had already faced. And then in all probability around his neck was carried his name and his crime, King of the Jews, that would eventually end up on the crossbar. And so that people could see what the crime was as he was going. And it had a lot of shame with it. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 for a minute. Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see this. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 2, verse 1 talks about us. We have all these witnesses of the Old Testament saints, and basically we're to not carry along our sin, we're to run the race that's set before us, but I want you to look at verse 2 because this is where we're to set our eyes as believers. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, now watch this, the author and the perfecter of faith. It is all found in him. Now watch. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and that's where he is right now. But he came as the author and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him. Ultimately, the first joy was not even you and I. The first joy set before him was obedience to the total will of the Father and satisfying the righteous demands of the Father. Although I do believe we can also see it in its context when he's telling us to keep our eyes fixed on him, that also he had in mind and he saw those that would be called to him. There's other verses that would point to that. But notice he endured the cross with all that I pointed out last week that happened in the scourging and now carrying his cross and all that he will feel in physical pain way beyond that. Because of the righteous demands of God, the death and the satisfaction for sin and the shame that came with the cross, he willingly, and that's really what's behind verse 17 of John chapter 19. He willingly took his cross. That's what it means when it says they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross. He bore his own cross willingly to satisfy the righteous demands of the law. 
to satisfy the will of the Father. And as we've seen, and I'll repeat the text that I mentioned last week, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus Christ became a curse for us, like that sin offering. He who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin for us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, who bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He willingly did this. And he went out carrying his cross. And I won't take the time other than to just point it out. I won't turn to it. But as you probably know, and if you're not, I'll mention it to you, that as he went, because of all the pain that he was suffering physically, and because of all that he had been through, he kept falling. He had the pressure of the cross, or he kept going slowly. I shouldn't even say falling, because the scripture doesn't say falling. But he was going slowly, and the soldiers took a man, Simon of Cyrene, and had him go and carry the weight of the cross because the Lord couldn't do it in the physical sense. He would have been so slow for the soldiers, as is obvious from the text. And so he goes out, and he goes to a place called the skull. Now, I'm going to rattle some cages this morning, but I'll leave it with you. A place called the skull, in the Hebrew, it's called Golgotha. Where is that? Well, here's where I say, I don't know. You say, what do you mean you don't know? You've been there. You've been to Israel. Well, there's two common places that are referred to. One is where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is today, and the other is Gordon's Golgotha. And there are those that will argue to the grave that it's this place or it's that place. But I will tell you this. It's a place that probably maybe, that's why I say maybe, because we don't know. It's the place of a skull, and some say it's because it looked like that. And that's one of the reasons some people pick Gordon's and so forth today. Uh, because it looks like it, but that's nothing, because that's a pit that was dug out by gravel and so forth and so forth to made, make it look like what it does today. And then there's a garden there and so forth, but if you go back, some refer to that as the Byzantine period, even with the grave, and on and on it goes. But the point is this, I don't want you to get lost in that. It was somewhere outside the city at the time. That's the key. No matter which place you choose or whether it was someplace else. And people today have traditionally concentrated on what is known as the Via Dolorosa, which, if I get some of my Latin correctly, it's simply, some of it I remember, not all of it, it simply just meant the way of sadness. That's all the Via Dolorosa means, the way of sadness. And that's what it was. People have referred to the stations of the cross and so forth. That's not what's important. It isn't all those places and everything that happened. It was the Lord Jesus Christ going to Golgotha to be lifted up and to be crucified for the sin of man to satisfy the righteous judgment of God. And what a picture of salvation. And John has been preparing us for this. So as he goes out, all the way through uh, verse 18 here, as he goes out to this place of the skull, it isn't important exactly that we understand exactly where it is today. But it was the place that was outside of the city. Why? To be crucified, to be lifted up. Why is that important? Go back with me to John chapter 3. I want you to see three verses that we've already studied. So important to see. John chapter 3. Let me go to verse 14. Everyone knows verse 16 and fails to go back to verses 14 
and 15. But look at verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, let me stop for just a second. I won't turn back to the reference, but it's in the book of Numbers. What happened is Israel went out and they were being redeemed and they went into their wilderness wanderings. As they went out, they were being bitten by serpents. And as they were, it was because they had rebelled against God and they had rebelled against Moses, it says specifically. And because of that rebellion, they were dying. And God spoke to Moses. First of all, the people said, would you intervene for us? That's important. Would you be an intermediator between us and God and go and ask forgiveness? And Moses was given instruction to take and make a bronze serpent and to lift it up. And so that when the people were bitten, as they looked on that serpent, by faith alone, they would be healed. And if they didn't, they died. And that was historical. And so he draws a comparison here. And he says, as the people were able to live because they by faith believed God through the intercession of Moses, as that was true, verse 14, even so, watch, must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? So that whoever believes, faith, will in him and in him alone have eternal life. That was a picture that Jesus Christ had to be lifted up. That's why the cross. Go with me to chapter 8 of John. This was not just something John's pointed out once. John chapter 8. Look at verse 28 that we studied. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, that is Jesus Christ, then watch, you will know that I am he. Why did John write this? that people would know that he's the Christ. When the Son of Man is lifted up, you will know that I am he and do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he always went out and did the Father's will. When you see me lifted up, then you will know. There were many people that were crucified, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But this one was different. He was list, li lifted up so that whoever would believe in him would have forgiveness of sins and would have life. He said it again. Go to chapter 12 of John. We've seen this throughout the book, and it's culminating in our text this morning. In John chapter 12, in verse 32, as we've studied this book. And I, verse 32, if I am, that's not a question. He is going to be lifted up. If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. All men will see that and have to make a decision, and we're going to see that this morning. But it talks about going all the way back to Numbers. There was a serpent that was lifted up as a type, and then Jesus Christ said, I will be lifted up. And all the way through John, he's been saying that, and now we come to John chapter 19, and he's lifted up in crucifixion. Lifted up, why? I repeat, as a picture of salvation, so that whosoever would believe in him and look upon him would have life. All are guilty. And it's very interesting because John concentrates on what he wants us to see so that we would understand salvation. Because notice the men that were crucified. Jesus Christ wasn't crucified alone. Look at verse 18. In, verses, in verse 18, there they crucified him 
And with him, notice this, two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. He was not crucified alone. In fact, there were going to be three crucifixions anyway. What? There were three crucifixions planned. Two of them were planned to be there. One was not from man's perspective. Pilate did not plan on crucifying Jesus Christ. He planned on crucifying those two robbers, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he did plan on crucifying a third person. Who was it? Go back to John chapter 18, verse 40. And I won't look at all the rest of it, but catch it. So they cried out, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was what? A robber. Barabbas was the one that Jesus, uh, that, excuse me, Pilate offered and said, look, uh, you don't want me to release this guy because he was the worst of them all. He was probably the ringleader of these guys. And he was going to be crucified. But the people cried out and said, no, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. So there were going to be three crucifixions anyway. And crucifixion was very common with the Romans. But these two men go out, and there's a third one who's there who shouldn't be there as far as man's concerned, and that is the one in the middle, Jesus Christ. Why? He was the substitute. Barabbas, by the way, was probably, and I want you to catch that. We read in Luke 23. Would you keep your finger here and John and go to Luke 23 for just a moment? We'll go back there a few times, so you might want to mark it. Barabbas was probably the ringleader, I said, in the worst of them. Why? If you look at verses 18 and 19 of Luke 23, notice what it says. And they cried out altogether, saying, Away with this man, release for us Barabbas. Now look at verse 19. He was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. He's a robber. He's probably, in our terms today, a terrorist. And he's a murderer, and he's the leader, and these two guys probably followed along and were part of the gang. And they want him released. This guy's guilty. He deserves to be there. And yet, there's a substitution for him. Barabbas was released, and a substitute goes to the cross of Calvary, and that's Jesus Christ. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you can mark it down, verse 17. We, uh, verse 7, excuse me we find out that Christ is our Passover lamb. That's where I started today. He's the Passover sacrifice, the one that would be sacrificed. Their crimes, according to Luke chapter 23, which I hope you're still in, in verse 32 of that chapter, it says, two others, these are the two that we're looking at in John, who were criminals, were being led away and put to death with him. So instead of Barabbas, Jesus Christ is going and these other two men are going to be crucified as well. They deserve what they're going to get. Jesus Christ doesn't deserve it at all. But he voluntarily takes up his cross, seeing the will of the Father to be fulfilled, coming out of the love of God, and is willing to go to the cross. Well, if we read the account uh, in Luke, which I hope you paid attention to in the responsive reading, you saw that they were mocking. There was mocking going on. It says one of the criminals, if you get down to verse 39, was mocking. 
Well, I want you to understand this first. Apparently, they both started mocking him. Really? Yes. Listen to Matthew 27. If you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to be quick. Matthew 27, verse 44. Listen to what it says. The robbers, plural, who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. So what same words? As the soldiers and the people standing by. So as the crucifixion begins, he gets there. He's in the middle. There's one on either side. And everybody's crying out, if you're really the Christ, get down. Save yourself. You saved others. You can't even save yourself. Save us too. Who are you? What's going on? And these criminals, both which deserve death, both which are mocking God in the beginning. And then something happens. What do you mean something happens? I want you to notice carefully in chapter 23 of Luke, verse 39 again. One of the criminals who hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So he's continuing on, but there's a change in that other robber. Why? As the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Lamb of God, silently before his shearers, if you will, remains silent, hanging on the cross, bearing the curse, willing to take its shame. As he's there, one of the robbers has a change of heart. How do we know that? Verse 40. But the other answered and rebuking him. All of a sudden, he stops mocking and he starts rebuking the other one. And notice what he said. Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, that is both of the men on the cross, we, what does he say? Indeed are suffering, help me, justly. For we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. Both of those men hanging on the cross are going to die. They're both being crucified as examples. And by the way, this was done publicly. We hide everything today. It was also done so that people would realize the consequence. But they were there. And they were getting exactly what they deserved. Right now, the only one who wasn't getting exactly what he deserved first was Barabbas. He deserved to be there in the middle. He's gone. And his substitute is there. And now the second one who's getting what he doesn't deserve is Jesus Christ. Notice, this isn't the Pharisees. This isn't even Pilate. This is the one that's deserving of death that notices that we do it justly, for we're receiving what we deserve. Then he has a change of direction again. He says, but this man, that is in the middle, has done what? Nothing wrong. He clearly explains it. He who knew no sin, he says, this man doesn't deserve what he's getting. We do. All men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not one righteous uh, there is none righteous, no, not one. In this room, there is not one boy and girl, not one male or female, adult, senior citizen, 20s, 30s, wherever you are, 
that is without sin. All of us are sinful. And there isn't one of us that do not deserve physical death and spiritual separation from God for all eternity. And John has made it very clear that he's gone to be crucified with two others so that we would understand that this one in the middle is the Christ. He's the only one that can provide salvation and so that we can have life. And I want you to notice, that's why we wanted to read in Luke as well, that in here, one of them has a turn of heart. Is he a sinner? Yes. Does he deserve death? Yes. Is he going to die in just a couple of hours? Yes. Where's he going? Is he going to the same place that the other one's going? No. How do we know? Look at the account. Verse 42. And he was saying, Jesus, he turns to the one in the middle, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And notice what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, today, you will be with me, not just in Hades, not in Sheol. You will be with me in paradise. You, unlike your buddy, will be in paradise. Your buddy will go to hell. Now I want you to look at that text carefully this morning. For anyone that's been coming, for anyone that's visiting for the first time, and you think that you can get to heaven by being good, or by going to church, or by even reading your Bible, by being baptized, by being involved in the sacraments, because this is a picture that John is giving us when he says that there's two others that are crucified to help us to see very clearly and plainly what salvation is all about. One of them died physically and ends up in hell. One dies physically and ends up in paradise with Jesus Christ in heaven. How is that possible? Did he get down from that cross and help the soldiers? No. Did he get down from that cross and go to the synagogue? No. Did he get down from the cross and say, wait a minute, let me be baptized and then put me back up? No. He did nothing except place his faith in the one that was in the middle, the one that was lifted up, the one who was the Lamb of God, the one who was bearing the penalty and price as the innocent one in behalf of him. That's all he did. By faith, believed God that this man was innocent, and he remembered the king. He is king of the Jews, and that's why he said to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and he's going to be there today, and you'll be with me. That is only possible if salvation is by faith through grace alone. And my friend, that's exactly what it is. This isn't just Fellowship Bible Church. This isn't just Pastor Dan's opinion. This is the word of God that is making very clear and plain and clear that salvation is found in no other person 
God went to great extent to having his justice as we started today, being satisfied because death was required, being satisfied by an innocent one in his love for us, and sent him to be lifted up so that whosoever would look on him and believe would have eternal life. And that's exactly what this robber does. What are you trusting in? Yourself? It won't work. Your parents? Grandparents. Your missionary parents. Your saved parents? It won't work. You're coming out to church all the time. It won't work. In your own wisdom, because you know what? That's just the Bible, Pastor Dan, and I don't believe the Bible. It won't work. You will die. You will spend eternity in hell for not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will have no one to blame but yourself. But I thought Pastor Dan was a fool. Well, in many ways he is. In this way, I am not. By the grace of God, this is one spot that I have some wisdom. Only because God changed my heart to believe on the one that was lifted up. God's penalty and price was paid. And men have come and men have gone. And women have come and women have gone. And that will be true until Christ comes back and until his final kingdom is established. And you in this room are in either one or the other category. Guilty? Absolutely. They were both guilty. Both deserving of death. None deserving of heaven. None deserving of forgiveness. And neither are any of us. And there was one who foolishly rejected all the evidence that was given to him and did not want to believe on Jesus Christ and wanted to figure it out and hours away from hell continued to mock at the plan of God. And folks, in the 21st century, we are living in multiculturalism, in multi-purpose religion where everybody is to consider everybody else's religion and there is no one way. Oh yes there is. And the one way is God's way. It's not religion. And God still offers that way today. And he says that the only way is through Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life and no one will come to the Father except it be through Jesus Christ. And he hung there on the cross, and the only reason the other person was in heaven or is in heaven today was because he placed his faith on the work of Jesus Christ alone. He never got down from the cross and played religion. He never had any sacraments. He never did anything good. He simply said, Lord, remember me when I come into your kingdom. And he said, today you will be there. Why? Because of the exercise of that faith. And that other criminal will never turn around and say, I didn't know and I had no evidence. He's without excuse and is in a hell in his own accord. And what a picture for Barabbas. His substitute, Barabbas, took off. We don't know anything else. It's very possible that he never came to Christ. It's possible he did. I don't know. 
But what a picture he had with the substitution. What a picture a Pilate had. He's innocent. He's innocent. He's innocent. He's innocent. Pilate's wife. The man is innocent. The man on the cross. This man is innocent. All the evidence. And yet they didn't believe. What a sad day when they stand before God. One day you will stand before God. I guarantee it on the authority of the word of God. And you will have no excuse. You won't be there with your spouse. You won't be there with your parents. You won't be there with your tough friends. You won't be there with your children. You will be all alone before God. And the only way that you will get into heaven and in the presence of God for all eternity or have life or have the forgiveness of sins is if you believe on the one that hung on the cross in the middle as the innocent lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You need to believe just like he believed. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And if the Lord was to tarry to the 23rd century, the message is still the same, folks. With all the technology that we have today and the sophistication of this world, God's message is still the same and it doesn't change. So isn't it appropriate with the entitlement as I close? Pilate wrote, probably in sarcasm to the Jews, but nevertheless, by the sovereign hand of God, writes, no mistake here, Jesus the Nazarene. Oh, there were a lot of people called Jesus, but this is Jesus the Nazarene. He is the king of the Jews. They were upset. And I want you to notice this under the sovereign hand of God again. Every language, Hebrew, probably Aramaic, Latin, Greek, everybody could see it. Everybody could see that he was the king of the Jews. Now, they didn't like that. They said, say that he called himself the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. It wasn't because Pilate was repentant. Pilate was just looking to get back at the Jews. But he was near the city, outside the gate. Would you turn with me to two last passages? Go with me to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. I want you to see verses 12 and 13. Hebrews 13. Verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify, set apart, make holy, saints, the people, how? Through his own blood, watch, suffered outside the gate. He took up his cross, willingly, went to Golgotha, which was outside the city. Why? Sin sacrifice. 
He became the stench that ended up being the sweet sacrifice to a holy God. The stench was because of our sin. And then he says this. So, verse 13, let us go out to him. Where? Outside the camp bearing his reproach. In the text, that was an encouragement for them to continue on in the things of Christ. But let me put an application here for us. Unless you go and meet Christ outside the camp and see that his sacrifice was on your behalf as a substitute, that you see that he who knew no sin became sin for you, that you believe on his work in satisfying the righteousness of a holy God and accept the love that God has in that sacrifice, you will die in your sins and spend eternity in hell. God's desire is that you believe. And I end with this passage. In Acts chapter 4, I know you're familiar with it, many of you. But listen to verses 10 through 12. In verse 10 it says this. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, he was crucified because of our sin, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. That was just the healing that had happened. He, referring to Christ, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, by which became the chief cornerstone. And listen carefully to verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. And there is salvation in no one else. And there is salvation in no one else. Why? For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Today's the day of salvation, folks. There will be no one that walks out of this room that will ever stand before God and say, I didn't understand or I didn't understand or hear. You've heard the message. By faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and your sins will be forgiven and you will be given eternal life. Fellow believers, what a cost. Undeserved. My penalty, my sin put him there. We are forgiven by the grace of God. How appropriate it was to sing by grace alone today. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, even as we sang today, it is not the outward it is not a song, it is not the appearance, but it is the heart that you look into. You know the heart of every person in this room. There's no doubt in my mind that in this room there are still those that are resisting trusting in Jesus Christ, whether it be because of peer pressure, because of doubts in their mind, because of work, because of whatever, a long list of excuses. Father, I pray that you'd open up their heart today. 
they might see that there's salvation in no one else but in Jesus Christ. And as he was lifted up, and even as the thief was able to turn and look and realize his own sinfulness and simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, help them to see that that's what they need to do. Help them to do it right there in the pew. Father, for those of us who have already trusted in Christ, might we not just look at today's message and this text as just another example, oh, I, I knew that, and yeah, so what else is new? But Father, might we humbly bow. We can never fathom the depth of your love, the, the extent of the Lord Jesus Christ going outside of the camp, taking the curse, satisfying your righteousness. Oh, what love. Who can understand it? None of us. But Father, we come with grateful hearts. Thank you for the salvation and pray that you'd help us to look to the author and finisher of our faith in our daily walk, that we might bring honor and glory to your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.